Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord, let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. This is the word of the Lord. I know what you guys are thinking. You're thinking, why didn't she read it all? I want more. We'll hit about 60 of these verses, so I'm going to need you guys to uh, listen quickly. Quick to listen? Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word, and we're thankful for this particular psalm that just shows us the delight of this person we don't know, his delight in your word, and we just pray, Lord, that that would rub off on us. We pray, Lord, that we would come away from this loving your word more and seeking you more in it. And Lord, we want to pray some of the prayers that he prayed in Psalm 119, prayers like, I will meditate on your precepts. Fix my eyes on your ways. We pray, Lord, that you would fix our eyes on your ways. As he said, incline my heart to your testimonies, not to selfish gain. And we pray that for ourselves, Lord, that anything else we might want besides you, we pray that you would show us the the folly of that, show us the weakness of that, and show us how much better you are. And as he says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Give me life according to your ways. We pray that for ourselves, Lord, that you would turn our eyes away from things that are, in the end analysis, worthless to you who are of ultimate worth. 
We pray, Lord, for our receptive hearts like he prays. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. Or I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. That last verse that Christina read. Lord, we pray that for ourselves that we come to you with these small, dry, dead hearts and we pray, Lord, that you would enlarge them. That you would make them eager to consume your word and to put your word into practice in our lives. We pray, Lord, also his prayer for insight. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Lord, you're so good to us. You're so good to us to even give us this word and then also to fill us with your spirit to enlighten our eyes. We pray that you do that work that only you can do. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So we're in the biggest of all the Psalms, Psalm 119. If you guys are familiar with the Bible, you know that this is a, just a massive, massive Psalm. And unlike the other Psalms that we've done, um, except for the one Gabe did, this one's anonymous. So it's not necessarily written by David. We don't know who it was written by. The only things we know about this author are the things that he says in the Psalm itself. And one thing we can tell about this guy, though, from this psalm, is that this, this guy really loves the word. Really loves the word. He uses a bunch of different words for God's word, for the Bible. He calls it eight different words he uses. He uses the word law, commandments, statutes, precepts, rules, word, testimony, promises. They're all different ways of referring to, to the word of God, to the Bible he had at that point. And he didn't have as much of the Bible as we have, but the parts that he did have, he treasured. Eleven times he says that he loves the word. Ten times he says he delights in it. Sometimes he says he loves and delights in one verse. Verse 47, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. And one of the other interesting things about this guy is is that he found God's word tasty. It was tasty to him. Look at 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So he's like... You know, this is like a savory, tasty thing, okay? A lot of us, you know, look at the word like, it's good, it's truth, you know, you need to build your life on it. That's all true, but it's also savory. It's tasty. He's going to show us that. He hungers, even longs for the word. Look at verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Or 131, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. This guy's out of control, Okay. (laughs) He is like, this is tasty, I long for it, I pant for it with my mouth open. I love it so much. The word of God is so clearly his joy in his song. He says in 111, your testimonies are my heritage forever, they're the joy of my heart. He says in 55, your statutes have been my song. Which is what this is. Psalm 119 is a love song composed to say how much he loves the word of God. How much he loves the Bible. He's like... Man, I love this so much. I wrote a song about it. You want to hear it? It goes a little something like this. And then he gives 176 verses about how much he loves the word. How long would this take to sing? I mean, it takes 15 minutes to read the whole thing. So is it an hour-long song? You repeat some of the bridges? I don't know. He even made it as an acrostic, okay? This is how crazy in love he is with God's word. It's an acrostic. So There's 22 letters to the Hebrew alphabet, and you'll see there's 22 sections. In each section, all eight lines start with the letter of that letter of the alphabet. And so he goes through all 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, 
with eight lines using the exact same letter in the beginning. He makes an acrostic. I mean, love will make you do crazy things, including making acrostics that are 176 lines long. And guys, this guy's love for God's word, I have personally found to be contagious. The, the first Sunday we were in the Psalms, we were talking about how the Psalms are like on-ramps that God gives us to worship and praise. That wherever you're at, whether you're anxious or envious or angry or maybe you're happy, maybe you're thankful, all those things, there's an on-ramp, there's a psalm about it, an on-ramp to get you up to the level of prayer and praise. This particular psalm is super helpful when you just don't desire God's word like you should. You just don't have the appetite for it. Make this your go-to psalm when you struggle with wanting the word. Like, I know I should be in the Word. I'm not in the Word. I don't really have a taste for it. Let this guy's contagious love for the Word stir you up to love it too. And that's why it's so long, by the way. That's why Psalm 119 is so long. It's actually meant to create an altered state of consciousness. Okay? It's long enough to where if you spend some time in it, it actually changes your appetites. You're supposed to take 15 minutes, immerse in it, and by the time you're done, you feel totally differently about the word. That's what it's here for. And so it's here for you for that purpose. If you come to the Psalm 119 man and you say, man, I haven't been in the word. I haven't been reading my Bible. He's not going to make you feel guilty about that. He's going to make you feel hungry. He's going to make you feel hungry, which is what you should feel. Okay. God's not a needy author that really needs you to read his book. You know, I wrote a book. Nobody's reading it. Did you read it? Did you read it? No, I didn't get around to it yet. No. His book is a bestseller, okay? It's the best-selling book. We need the word. We need it as food, okay? It's not that he needs us to read it. We need it for ourselves. We need to feed ourselves on it. So why does he love the word so much? He tells us in line after line. I kind of boiled it down to four reasons. You can go back this week and dig into it and probably find more. But the first one is that you should love the word because it makes you wise. The psalmist loves God's word because it makes him wise. Look at 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He loves God's word because it gives him light. It gives him insight. It gives him wisdom. It gives him understanding. And that makes sense, guys, that this would be the place to go for wisdom. Because what we have here in this book are God's very words. You have God's very words. If you're holding a copy of it, that's what you're holding. In, uh, 88, he says, in your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. God breathed forth this book through human authors, but it is God's very word. You, regular old you, own a copy of God's very words. Isn't that crazy? How'd you get so lucky? That's insane, right? You, like regular person, would have a copy of God's very words. It's an awesome thing in the true sense of awesomeness. Verse 161 says, my heart stands in awe of your words. When we have this in our hands and we read it, what we should feel is awe. We should tremble before it. The hair should go up on the back of our necks. Like you have God's very words. Let's do a little thought experiment. So imagine you had no Bible and you had no access to scripture. You couldn't get it online, couldn't get it anywhere. It was unavailable, completely unavailable. And an antiquities dealer comes to town and he has a Bible. And he offers to sell it to you. And keep in mind, you can't get a Bible anywhere else. And you had heard they existed. you never seen one. You didn't think you'd ever be able to see one. How much would you be willing to pay that man for God's word? Can't get it any other way. 
Would you pay 200? Would you pay 2,000? Do I hear 20,000? Do I hear 200,000? Would you be willing to take, like, pay mortgage size payments to have God's word? You would. You would. Yes, you would. And so would I. And so you get a little bit of what the psalmist says in verse 14. He says that he delights in it as much as riches. And then in 72, he says, no, 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 it's more than that. He says, it's better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Amen? Since, since God knows everything and God cannot lie, we know that his word is the ultimate source of truth. The psalmist loves God's word because it gives him light and insight and wisdom and understanding. Six times he prays, give me understanding from your word. And the Lord answers that. In 98, he says, your commandments have made me wiser than my enemies. In 99, he says, I have more understanding than my teachers. In 100, he says, I have more understanding than the aged. You see how it's like increasing. He has understanding because he sought it in the word. And guys, we need wisdom. Really badly, okay? We need wisdom. We were created with the need for wisdom. 73 says, your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. When the first people were created, they were created with a need for wisdom. It wasn't because of sin. There was no sin. It's because they're creatures, okay? So a creator made creatures. You are a creature. You're a creature of his. He made creatures, and they had to be told, right, what they were made for and where to find happiness and, you know, what was meaningful for them to do and what would make their lives fruitful and why were they were there, right? They need to hear all these things. They didn't come knowing that, and neither do you. We can't rely, guys, on our own intuitions and emotions and feelings to guide us. We need wisdom. We're creatures, and the creator of us and everything has given us his very words to read. It's amazing, isn't it? Totally amazing. And yet we have to admit that we've often been like the little child that says to his mother, I do it myself. You ever had your kids say that before? In that broken English? I do it myself. That's us, right? And we've made a mess by rejecting God's words. We say, I do it myself. And we see what we've done. Our culture, guys, maybe you've noticed, has made just such a mess, right? Over the last couple of hundred years, our culture has actively tried to dislodge itself from the anchor of God's word. And high five everybody, we accomplished it, okay? And so our culture is now adrift from God's word, and what we find ourselves now as a culture is that we're adrift in a sea of our own speculation. That's why you see some of the insanity you see. It's literally impossible now for people to have common agreement on what is true and what is good and what is meaningful, because who's to say, right? Who's to say? Which is why you see so much despair in our culture. You see a lot of despair, right? And we kind of say, oh, it's because of this, it's because of that. This is the foundational reason it is. We've dislodged ourselves from the word of God. There's so much despair and confusion and anger and mistrust and fear. It's exactly what you would expect aboard a ship that has lost its anchor and its compass and is drifting into a storm. It's exactly what you'd expect. You're like, why are everybody so mad and confused and sad and you know, despairing. It's because they're on a ship that's been dislodged from the anchor of God's truth, headed into a storm with no compass. So there's a lot of finger pointing, a lot of anger. It's everybody else's fault. We've done it as a culture. Which, guys, brings us to this. 
what an amazing gift we have to offer to our neighbors. The anchor. (laughs) We have the anchor. If you would take your life and you would fasten it around God's word, you would no longer be confused. You would have bearings. You would know truth. You would know why you're here. You would no longer be confused. Let your creator speak to you and tell you what is true and good and valuable. There's no need to live in that confusion. The psalmist loves God's word because it makes him wise. We need wisdom. You know, you guys have uh, families to lead, kids to lead, businesses to lead. You have yourself to lead, most importantly. And while you won't always get a specific answer to your specific life need when you read scripture, what it will do is it'll make you a wise person. And a wise person is a person who understands the terrain of life, right? You understand the terrain. That's what verse uh, 105 is about. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What is that? You see the terrain. You're not going to fall. You're not going to stumble. You know, 165 says, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. And so what it does, and it doesn't always give you a specific answer, your specific problem, what, what God's word does is it makes you wise. It makes you understand the terrain of life. And it's amazing to see, guys, and you guys have all seen this, a new believer, when they really latch on to God's word and really fully give themselves to know it, how they increase in wisdom. It's like exponential. It's like, man, you were super dumb before, you know? And, and I can see you've really, and so was I, by the way, okay? We all came into it dumb. Sin makes us dumb. It's called the noetic effect of sin, and sin makes us stupid. It's like, you were really dumb before, and then you gave yourself to the word, and now look at you. Like, it's a few months. So much wisdom. It's God's wisdom, guys. It's amazing. He says in 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Would you guys like counselors? What if all those counselors were God <laughs> in various portions of Scripture? And the Bible is the kind of book, it's really cool because it, it actually grows with our needs. You don't go like, oh, you know, I did read it and I'm kind of done. It grows with our needs, right? It has a shallow end and it has a deep end. It has a shallow end that somebody new can understand the important truths of it. And then it grows with our need. Look at 130. The unfolding of your words give life. It imparts understanding to the simple. That's the way of saying stupid people. The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. It unfolds, you know? So you read it, and you're like, oh yeah, I read a good book, you know? And you read it again, you're like, wait, what? that was there? I know I read this part before. It's unfolding. It's simple enough for the beginner, but it unfolds as you grow. He loves God's word because it makes him wise. We should love God's word. It makes us wise. Secondly, Love the word because it makes you strong. The psalmist loved the Bible because it made him strong in adversity. This guy had a lot of adversity. This isn't David, as far as we know. This is another guy in a lot of adversity, okay? Listen to his prayers. Look at 25. My soul clings to dust. Give me life according to your word. Or 28. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. We know from the rest of the psalm, this poor guy has been shamed, 31, reproached, 39, taunted, 42, afflicted, 50, derided, 51, tripped up, 61, lied about, 78, persecuted, 84, trapped, 85, ambushed, 95, and oppressed, 134. Sounds like a bad country song, (laughs) you know? I've been shamed, reproached, taunted, and afflicted, you know, like, this guy has been through the ringer, right? You want me to do more of that? (laughs) I've never sang up here before. That's it. Okay, only country. And then he says this thing, it's like enigmatic, and 
somebody probably knows what this means. Look at, look at 83, about his suffering. He says this, I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. Like, I have no idea what that is, but that's not good, you know? <laughs> this guy's been through a lot of suffering. He's going through the ringer. He's in adversity, and suffering seems to stalk him. Look at 143. Trouble and anguish have found me out. They're like following him. Trouble and anguish. And then when this guy's in the storm, what does he do? When he's afflicted, he finds strength in God's word. Look at 107. I am severely afflicted. Yeah, no kidding. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. And he even acknowledges in here that sometimes his affliction is what God uses to bring him back to the word. He says this a few times. Maybe you guys can relate to that. You know that your suffering was what God used to bring you back to the word. Look at 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. You guys relate to that? Or take a look at uh, 71. It's good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Anybody relate to that one? When adversity came, he turned to God's word for life and joy and peace and refreshment and strength and hope. Take a look at 50. This is my comfort and my affliction that your promise gives me life. 92. Oh, this is so good. 92. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. He's like, I would have died. If it weren't for your word, I would have died. Or 114, you are my hiding place and my shield, I hope, in your word. So we should love God's word because it makes us strong. God's word is like, it's like a portable shelter that you have, okay? It's like you open it up and it's, you know, it's a portable shelter that when you, when you get in it, you find refuge and you find rest and you find refreshment and you get your hope refilled and you gain strength. So we should love God's word because it makes us wise, because it makes us strong. We should love God's word because it sets us free. The psalmist loved God's word because it set him free from the enslaving power of sin. Sin enslaves, guys. Sin enslaves, but God's word sets us free. And sometimes we get that backwards. We think that somehow sin is freeing and God's word's kind of confining. You know, it's kind of tight. Don't really, you know, right? You feel like that sometimes? That's sin talking. It's like, no, no, I'll set you free. You don't want to do that. You know, that's the devil. Okay? The psalmist knows that that's not true. Look at 133. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. He knows that sin is going to enslave him. It's going to take more and more. And he knows that God's word's freeing. Look at 45. And I shall walk in wide places, for I've sought your precepts. I love that, walk in wide places. God's word's not confining. God's word actually allows us freedom. It allows us to walk in wide places. God's word sets us free that so we can love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's not confining, it's freeing. You guys found that to be true? You know, in 1 John, he says, your commandments are not burdensome. They're actually freeing. G.K. Chesterton, I love the way he talked about the freedom that God's word gives. He said this, The more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and an order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. Isn't that awesome? God's commandments are to give room for good things to run wild. That's what it's for. The Holy Spirit frees us from the enslaving power of sin as we consume God's word. Take a look at verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. 
Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Like food that you consume becomes a part of your body. When we consume God's word, it becomes a part of the insides of us. You know, as we consume God's word, the Holy Spirit actually changes the internal architecture of your heart, of your soul. Makes you different on the inside as you consume his word. And so if you're in a place where you're like, man, temptation's been so strong and I just don't feel like I... I feel like I'm going to give in to it. I feel so weak. The guy that wrote this psalm would say, yeah, but have you been eating lately? You know? You ever been in that place where you forget to eat all day? You're like, man, I'm dragging. What's going on? Am I sick? It's like, no, you didn't eat. It's the same thing with this word that we need to eat it. Guys, if you want to be free from the power of sin, not perfectly, but substantially, eat this book. (laughs) Eat this book, right? Consume it. He loved the Bible because it gave him freedom. It allowed him to walk in wide places and let good things run wild. So, love the word because it gives you, I'll do it all in else. It gives you light, so wisdom. It gives you life, gives you strength and affliction. It gives you liberty, gives you freedom from sin. And then the fourth one would be, it gives you the Lord. That's the ultimate reason why we love the Bible. The psalmist loved God's word because in it he found the Lord. 135. Listen to this. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. So when he's dwelling in God's word, that's what he wants, ultimately. That God's face would shine upon him. God's word is where we find and enjoy God himself. Listen to A.W. Tozer about the word. This is so good. It's a totally different way of looking at Bible reading. Because, you know, some of you came from a background where you made sure to read the Bible every day to, like, make sure you knew you were saved. If you weren't reading the Bible every day, probably not saved. Okay, that's a terrible motivation, actually, to read the Bible. Or, you know, you might have felt like you're a new believer, and you're like, okay, I need to read the Bible because I need to learn everything that I need to learn. And maybe you got to a point where you felt like you learned it all. But listen to this motivation for reading God's Word. A.W. Tozer says this, The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring us to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that we may enter into Him, that we may delight in his presence and taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of our hearts. That's a better reason, right? Read the Bible so that you can be brought into an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that you may enter into him, that you may delight in his presence and taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of your heart. It's amazing, right? That's motivation. That's who we really want when we want the word, is we want the Lord. Some people criticize the Psalm 118 man and say, oh, it sounds like he's worshiping the Bible. He isn't worshiping the Bible. The Bible is a means for him to get who he worships. He wants God, and the word is the way to enjoy him. That's how the word makes us wise and strong and free, by giving us God. That's why it's savory. It's savory because God is savory. The word is delicious because God is delicious. And this written word is how we encounter the living word, Jesus Christ. So you might go, okay, that's great. I love that. I want some, okay? You're like, yes. (laughs) Sounds tasty. How do I experience it like he does? Because, you know, you're reading this and you're like, wow, this is kind of over the top, you know? How do I experience it like he does? Where do I start? Well, the psalmist actually not only shows us how desirable the word is, but he shows us how he enjoys it. And it's two things, prayer and meditation. Prayer and meditation. The psalmist experienced the Lord in the word through meditation. Look at 97. 
Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. Or 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Or 147. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night. This guy's out of control. That I may meditate on your promise. Okay, so it's through meditation. Now, meditation's really popular right now. Anybody hear people talking about meditation? Non-Christians? Okay, so Buddhists meditate, right? Agnostics meditate. Atheists like Sam Harris not only meditate, but teach meditation, have an app about it, okay? There's a lot of meditation going on. But a lot of times if you listen to these people, it's about kind of taking the thoughts that come and kind of moving them away from you and not focusing on them. So it's an avoidance of certain negative thoughts. That's not what this is. So this is ancient Hebrew meditation, which was not a practice of clearing your mind. It was a a practice of ordering your mind around God's word, of turning over God's word, of mulling it over, of of bringing it to bear, and and transforming you as you did. Anyone can meditate, okay? How many of you worry? Oh, you guys are remarkably free from worry. That sermon a couple weeks ago, wow. How many of you guys worry? Bunch of liars. Okay, there we go. Okay, if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate, right? You are meditating. You're meditating on your problems, right? You're meditating on all these things that could possibly happen. You're meditating on all, all that. It's very similar. What this would be is it would be meditating on God's word instead. And meditation, I read this somewhere and I don't remember where, meditation is like, is like cows when they chew their cud, okay? You guys ever seen a cow chew their cud? Do you know what it is? Oh, some of you don't know. Okay, so it's cool. So cow goes out, grazes, eats a bunch of stuff as fast as they can, right? They're out there grazing. And then they kick it under a tree. And what you see on the left side where their esophagus is, you see a bulge go whoop into their mouth again, and they start chewing. You're like, what are they chewing? They're chewing their stomach contents, okay? So they have four stomachs. Their big rumen is full of like a sloshy pit of, you know, all the stuff they ate. And they're not vomiting. They're regurgitating. That's different. Bring it up into their mouth, and they're chewing it, you know? They're kind of kicking it around. Why do they do that? Well, they do that to extract the nutrients, to better extract the nutrients. Because cows, they eat very undigestible things. Plants are very undigestible, actually. And so they're chewing it. They're chewing the cud, right? They're extracting the nutrients. That's what it's like to meditate on Scripture. It's chewing the cud. So it's not a quick grazing-like reading, but it's an unhurried pondering of the little portions of Scripture, the phrases and the words and the connections. You, you move it around in the sole of your mouth, right? And you, you savor the textures, and you notice the tones, and you extract the juices, right? And you absorb all the nutrients, okay? Most people in our culture, though, I think, and probably most of you, find it very hard to think about anything for 30 minutes. Anyone? So, typical situation is that most people in our culture check their phones for distraction every 4.3 minutes. I hope I didn't just remind you to do that. So every 4.3 minutes. So if you sit down with God's word, you open it, you read, about 4.3 minutes in, you look at your phone, you check email, you may check the news, uh, maybe you check your social media, whatever you do, right? You check your phone. You do that every four minutes. Problem is, when you really focused on something and you break away, there's this thing called cognitive residue or attention residue, where it takes you a while to get back in, okay? Probably takes you several minutes to get back into focus. So you're never in focus, you can't be, because it takes more than four minutes to even get in focus, and then you're checking for another, you know, distraction, right? How many of you guys have, you know, been in that situation where you're trying to read something, anything, and a few minutes in, you're off track? Scientists tell us that our brains 
have actually become addicted to a dopamine hit every time we see something new. So you're like, okay, I'm reading. Okay, this is kind of hard. You know, I'm trying to like chew on this. You know, I'm feeling in my brain. My brain's like, oh, this is too hard. You know, we want a dopamine cookie. And then you look at this thing and you get a dopamine cookie, right? And that's the way our brains are messed up. But few people talk about why we're distracted. Tons of literature on that we're distracted, but why are we distracted? Why do we want that so bad? It's like, well, we're addicted. Yeah, but why did it start in the first place? I think I know the reason, at least for me, and I bet it's for a lot of you. I think the main reason we seek distraction is existential despair. I think we're in despair, okay? I think the main reason most people want distraction, whether it's to scroll and look for something to buy or look at their email or whatever, is existential despair. It's despair of existing, Okay, it's a mixture of sadness and boredom and fear. A little soup that you have in your heart. And you need, every once in a while, to get the little shot of dopamine to medicate it. It may not be all of you, but, you know, the shoe fits, right? I feel it. There's this pain that you want to medicate and be distracted by. And so perhaps, well, I think we know that we don't, the reason why we find it hard to meditate on Scripture is that we're distracted. And I think that the main reason we're distracted is because of despair. We're looking for a way of escape. This is not actually a new problem. Uh, Blaise Pascal talked about it like 400 years ago. So what's the solution? I think the solution to that is bring your existential despair to God's word, right? How much does the psalmist talk about all those things? Talk about the pain of life and the difficulties of life. And line after line, what he does is he brings his despairing, sad, anxious heart to the word and trades it for joy. And so how do we meditate? Start with prayer. You know, pray that God and invite him in to this time of meditation. Psalm 118 is actually full of prayers. I don't know if you guys notice that, but next time you read it, put a little P next to every spot where there's a prayer. And these are prayers that you could pray when you're about to open up God's word and meditate. They're prayers of things like focus. Here's a prayer of focus. 15. I will meditate on your precepts. Fix my eyes on your ways. Okay, so fix my eyes. That's a prayer of focus. 36, incline my heart to your testimonies, not to selfish gain. It's a prayer for focus. 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. I will not tell you which ones they are. You know. And give me life in your ways. Prayer of focus. Or a prayer of a receptive heart. 29, Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. So these are things we can pray. So we open the word. We get to Psalm 119. We have marked with little P's where all the prayers are. And we pray some of these things, whichever ones fit us. And I really love 32. It's my favorite. He says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Isn't that a cool prayer? Such an honest prayer. It's like, Lord, okay, I'm opening the word. But honestly, towards you, my heart is like like a tiny little frozen raisin-sized heart. Like, I got no room for this. I'm not even alive to you right now. And he says, I will run in the way of your commandments. If you would just take that little, nasty, little, dry, frozen heart and enlarge it and cause some life here. And he'll answer that prayer. Or um, you could pray this one uh, for insight. I love this one. Uh, 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. And listen to this. Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. So we pray these things as we're opening the word and we're inviting him in. So a prayer of invitation, which we can get right from here, and then a time of rumination. Okay, so we're going to meditate on scripture, let's say 30 minutes. 
I think it'd be really fun to write the time you started because I think you're going to find that you're like, oh, this is hard. I'm done. Let me look at something. And you'll look and it'll be like four minutes. You're like, he's right. You know, when I started first recording my focus like that, I could go maybe seven minutes. Pretty heroic, I know. Way above average. I could go like seven minutes. Like, how does sermon prep work that way? You study for seven minutes and then check things for 10 minutes and then take 10 minutes to get back your mind into it and then seven minutes later you're distracted again? Like, this is not a good process, right? So write down when you started. It would be really helpful not to keep score like God requires 30 minutes. It would just be fun to see how addicted you are. Okay, so we're going to ruminate for 30 minutes. So you've spoken to God in prayer. Now he's going to speak to you in his word. I'd have a pen or a pencil there. I would actually highly, highly recommend you guys use a physical Bible. I don't know anyone that knows the Bible well without first knowing a particular Bible well. I think it's nearly impossible to know the word well digitally, at least initially. You've got to have a physical copy where you know, like, oh, Psalm 19, it's on the right side here is where it starts. And you know what I mean? Like, you have to have a, a Bible you can know. So I don't know anybody that knows the Bible well. Maybe you do. That didn't at first know a Bible well. So have a physical Bible. You're making notes, you're, you're looking at things in there, you read the passage, maybe you just read 10 verses, read it again, ponder it again, look at its words, look at its phrases. You know, it'd be really helpful to learn how to do this is John Piper has these videos called Look at the Book. I'm not saying you use this during your meditation time, but he could teach you how to meditate, where he's got it on the screen, and he's circling words, and he's drawing connections, he's doing all this thing. He would, that's who I learned how to meditate on the scripture from, just from hearing him many, many years ago, and then he came out with these videos. Super helpful. But your meditation time wouldn't include John Piper, okay? That's your training time. But you circle, you underline, you make connections, and then you like, pretty soon you're chewing the cut. You know, you brought it up, you're chewing it, you're moving it around in the mouth of your soul, you know? You're tasting the textures, you're extracting the juices, you're getting the nutrients. And then write those insights down. You know, if you got a word or an insight, underline things. You know, when you're reading the Bible and something jumps out at you, that's God speaking to you. You probably want to like make a note of that, you know? God spoke here. What did he say? Record it. 162 says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Okay? It's like a pirate found a treasure chest. Probably want to write down the location of that treasure, right? That would be really important. So you record it, your spoils, and the other thing about that is that could be the thing that maybe you regurgitate up again and chew on it some more. Right? Wouldn't that be great? You guys like all the regurgitation. I know, you're like profound. 97 says this, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. That's the way we can do that. So pray over it and then, then thank the Lord for coming. He came. He, he spent time with you. He showed you things. You were in his presence. Thank him for that. Find a way to share that with other people. But meditation, guys, is really the way we learn to taste and see that the Lord is good. You, know, you might be here this morning. You might be like, I just, I, I'd like to th- say that I taste and see that he's good, but you know, it's like you have a spiritual COVID, right? You just have lost your taste for God. He used to have a taste. He has no taste now. How do you solve that, right? You solve that by really meditating on God's word. You know, I don't taste anything right yet. I'm like, okay, keep chewing. Keep chewing. And you will taste it. That's meditation. Now, I love how the psalm ends, and I am going to end it now. I love how the psalm ends. Take a look at the very last verse. So good. 176. Okay, so framing this. If you haven't read the whole psalm, it's like this guy goes on and on and on and on about how much he loves the Bible. He wants to follow the Bible. And he's like, man, people don't follow the Bible. They're crazy. This is wonderful. Look at this. All this. Look at how it ends. Psalm 76. Kind of an unexpected ending. He says, 
I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Isn't that amazing? An amazing piece of honesty there? You know, the God we're seeking in the word is the God who has sought us first. He always seeks us way more than we seek him. In fact, we wandered so much from God's word that John 1 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us to pursue us, to rescue us from the penalty of our sin. John 1, 1 says this, In the beginning was the word, speaking of the Son of God, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. In Jesus Christ's life, you see the, the wisdom and the strength and the freedom that the word gives us, right? It all flows from him. Like his life is good things run wild, right? If you look at Jesus' life, you're like, okay, that's what the word gives because he is the word. His life was good things running wild. And yet on the cross, Jesus Christ took all of our afflictions, all the afflictions we deserve because of our wandering. Jesus was shamed, reproached, taunted, afflicted, derided, tripped up, lied about, persecuted, trapped, ambushed, and oppressed all for us. And he did, it, did that so that he could give us forgiveness and he could give us the life this describes. That he could give us his wisdom and his strength and his freedom. So I just asked you this morning, have you wandered? You know, it's the old hymn, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You know, take this heart and seal it for thy courts above. Like, we wander, you know? That's why we're here, right? It's to hear again the goodness of God and return to him. So, if you wandered, Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for all your sinful wanderings. And if you receive him today, he will give you the rich life that's promised in this psalm. And we seek him in the word because he first sought us. This is the God you meet when you open this. Let's pray. We do love your word, Lord. We love it more than when we walked in. And that's your work. That's answered prayer. That's your word having its effect in our hearts. And we just pray, Lord, that the little appetizer, the little tasters, little samples that we got this morning, Lord, that we would follow a trail of those samples back to your word this week and that we would feast in it, that we would enjoy it. And Lord, when it's hard, when it's hard to read and we just you have a very difficult time really tasting anything, we pray, Lord, that you would cause us to pray and to ask for our appetites to be restored. Lord, you are so good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to taste and to see that he's good. We pray as we're going to take communion, Lord, as an opportunity to taste and see your goodness in the cross. We pray, Lord, that you would, even as we take that, that, Lord, even in the taking of that, we'd walk away with a new appreciation for your beauty and your goodness. Lord, I pray for those who are here who know you and just feel like they don't have a taste for you. I pray, Lord, that in the taking of communion, you would do a miracle on their spiritual taste buds. They would walk away with a new joy and desire for you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.